Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure forever. Just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. The wicked will not rule the land of the godly, for then the godly might be tempted to do wrong. O Lord, do good to those who are good, whose hearts are in tune with you. But banish those who turn to crooked ways, O Lord. Take them away with those who do evil. May Israel have peace. Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. From Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We will now light the candles. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. Now we light the third candle to remind us of the joy that Jesus brings by his presence in our lives. People all around us are searching for joy, but they are looking in all the wrong places because joy is not found in external circumstances. It is found in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing him And living our lives for his glory brings true and lasting peace and joy, no matter what the circumstances. And when we when we were asked to do this this morning, and the the candle we were going to light was joy, um, I was actually it was actually about three days after my my dad had had open heart surgery, and three years about three years ago. His dad, my grandpa, had uh, been admitted to the hospital after having a fall in his garage and never got out of the hospital. He died um, 
And so when my dad found out my dad was going to have open heart surgery, kind of unexpected, uh, there was a lot of initial fear there. Um, but as we were preparing for it, there were a lot of things that kind of dawned on us um, as a family. One, his heart was in pretty bad shape, and the alternative of the surgery was likely worse. Um, but as we were, as he was going into surgery, the rest of our family was sitting in the waiting room, and our, our pastor from our childhood church uh, back home came and was just talking about how he had visited my dad the week before, and my dad's mindset was just very positive, and it was, um, there was no fear. It was, a, regardless of how this turns out, what is God trying to teach me? And just the joy that it brought our family in that, and um, even the opportunity it provided for our family to get more time together, because all of our, all of me and my brothers all took time off work, and we had like three extra days where we just got to spend time together. Um, and so there was a lot of joy in that, and um, it was really an encouragement. So and my dad's doing great. He's fine. He's stuck at home and can't lift more than like 10 pounds, and he's miserable about it. But uh, medically, he's great. So. All right. Perfect. So uh, let us pray. Oh, happy Jesus, in the course of this busy life, give us times of refreshment and joy. Grant that we may so use our leisure to pause our souls and renew our minds, that our souls may be opened to the goodness of your creation. We bring all our cares, disappointments, worries, heartaches, and longings, and we lay them at your feet. We ask that you exchange them for your joy and celebration. Help us daily to trust in you and to rejoice in your goodness as we seek to share with others your gift of love that has transformed our lives. Amen. Oh, thanks, team. This Advent season, the anticipation of our Savior reading texts that point to that and, uh, and lighting a candle, something that um, uh, communities have done for centuries as a reflection of our faith. Uh, good morning. Happy Sunday. And, uh, and so if, if you're new with us, man, we, we don't think anonymity is a value around here. And so, and so if you want to be anonymous... This might not be the best fit, but if you want to be known, we want to be known and know each other. There's a connect card. We would love to get to know you and hear more of your story. And one of the ways we get to experience that, embody that, is uh, between Sunday gatherings today. We're doing cocoa and cookies downstairs, um, and we're excited to, to be together with first and second Sunday gatherings, as well as next Sunday. Um, I would encourage you, wear your ugly sweater that maybe wasn't so ugly at one point, but now might be perceived by culture as an ugly sweater. Maybe it's still your cherished sweater. Wear your cherished sweater. Uh, and then the staff had a, had a fun way of celebrating and looking ahead. We will at least be, your staff will at least be in ugly sweaters. Uh, we would love you to join us as, as we celebrate uh, just with that next Sunday. And There'll be a little photo booth uh, by some people in our family, uh, our church family, that would love to be able to snap 
a photo of you guys, your family, with your ugly sweaters. And um, not quite the same as an ugly sweater, um, but maybe you're going to be receiving some clothes that you might not want to put on your kid. Uh, another sweet little life joined, uh, joined the family. Uh, Whitaker Tate Johnson was born just last, last week, which is surreal, uh, to Phil and Christy, the young man who had the lion's jacket on. So there's still hope for his son that he might convert either to other teams in the north. Uh, but excited to celebrate uh, with the family. Um, so, so as we start, I, I want to do an exercise, and, and I'm going to do it. So uh, remember, this is a church, so I'm going to have my eyes closed, so you may or may not have your eyes closed. I won't be able to tell because I'm going to be closing my eyes. But we're going to be looking at the story of a blind man. And, uh, and so I, I just wanted to, to close our eyes for a second to, to put ourselves in that place, and, uh, and, and so we can, we can picture, maybe imagine yourself waking up even this morning, and, and you wake up, and, and you are unable to see. Maybe you think it's because it's, it's dark, and so you attempt to find the light switch, which now, because you're unable to see, you, you're not sure exactly where it is. You, you bumble your way out of bed, some familiarity uh, of where you are and, and, the, and the space you're in, but, but suddenly you realize that this is, uh, this is a condition that, that now you have, and, and you long for maybe it to be alleviated, and, and now maybe there's a period of time where it, it is prolonged. The intensity grows of just what you desire, you desire to see, and, and, and yet it's, it's not happening in that way. Think of your life now. What is something right now that in the same way you could feel the urgency in longing to see physically, is there something on your heart, near your heart this Advent season that just feels so close that you long for God to step in and yet it it feels it hasn't quite happened in, in the timing you'd want? The desperate and dependent urgency starts to build. That is the story we're entering in this morning. And so you can open your eyes. I'm going to read the text. We're entering into the last healing miracle in Luke. And we encounter a blind man. Here's, here's the story. And we have an interaction with Jesus and his disciples just before the story. And taking the twelve, he said to them, coming off the interaction with the rich young ruler... See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. And hearing a crowd go by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight 
And Jesus said to him, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Jesus is now the very last miracle, the very last healing we're seeing in Luke. The irony shouldn't be lost on us. (laughs) The whole text of Luke has been pointing us to the certainty in seeing who Jesus really is. And the very last healing Luke chooses to include, (laughs) having eyes to see Jesus is everything. And Luke shows us how the blind man, though he has nothing and he cannot see until he trusts Jesus, then has it all. So pray with me for, for what God might be stirring in your heart. Maybe something that just feels so desperate right now where joy feels far off and, and the circumstance like Ricky mentioned feels very close. We're longing for Jesus. And yet, what we see in the blind man, there is a seeing that shows that he has it all. So pray with me and we will dig into the text this morning. God, you are so kind. With this Advent season, we, we may feel the hurry and the hustle of activity, Maybe the weight of cultural circumstances or, or consumerism is, is, is close to our hearts. Maybe relational tension is, is at its peak. Help us see you more clearly through your word. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to walk through it. But you've got to love how Luke organizes ideas. What's the very section he puts before the blind man? A rich young ruler that couldn't see, and then the disciples who are blind and miss what's right in front of them. Then we see the blind man conscious of his need and a recognition of Jesus the deliverer, and then we see Jesus, seeing Jesus reflecting the authenticity of his faith. So here's where we start, that first section. The disciples are blind and miss what's right in front of them. Taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Does that feel like a common theme we've been hearing? All the way back in chapter 9, what does Jesus do? Come on, team. I believe in you, team. I believe in you. What does Jesus do? He sets his face to Jerusalem. He says, I know why I'm here and where I'm headed, and that's to the cross. Back in chapter 9, he sets his face to Jerusalem, the purpose for his arrival on this planet. And then we see he just slowly moves us there through the chapters. In chapter 13, he went on his way through towns and villages teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Chapter 17, as he's going on his way to Jerusalem. And then just recently, he's telling his disciples once again, See, I'm going up to Jerusalem. What does he say about his purpose in going to Jerusalem? See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. What does that mean? If you sit in that for one second, that God plans the death of his Son... That everything that is going to be written about the Son of Man is going to be accomplished. What was written? He tells us in this very next section. 
for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be shamefully treated. It hasn't happened yet. As he's telling his disciples, this is what's about to happen. I will be shamefully treated, spit upon. I will be flogged and they will kill him. But disciples, don't lose heart. On that third day, he will rise. Did the disciples see and recognize this as fully? Luke tells us they do not. They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now, if we just do a small look back. So they did not grasp it. Two reasons. That God supernaturally hid it from them before a time when they would fully understand when he did rise from the dead. That's who that guy was. And there was such an understanding of how the Messiah was going to arrive. But if we just do a small look back on the circumstances they've experienced, what have they seen? Throughout Luke, he points out, they saw demons cast out. Simon saw his mother-in-law healed. There was sickness of various diseases that got healed. A leper, a paralytic, a man with a withered hand in front of them. I mean, these miraculous healings. The dying centurion servant, and then Jesus does something. He raises the widow's son from the dead. Again, more demons cast out. A woman's illness that that then stops, raises another child from the dead, casts out unclean spirits. A woman that had a disability, dropsy, and 10 lepers. And in all of this, they don't see what's right in front of them. And we look back at the 12, or or throughout Luke, that's been a common thread. They don't see what's right in front of them. And so for me, as we shift into what the blind beggar does see, we want to make sure on this side of the resurrection, though a familiarity with Jesus might be true for us, we don't want to miss seeing Jesus and the significance, though it's Christmas, the significance of what he did come to accomplish, to reconcile us to himself. Because sometimes it feels like when I go to Christmas season, there's still some level of Christian pseudo-belief. And yet what it feels like is we're missing the very essence of seeing Jesus. Because what's the very next story Luke chooses to include? Don't miss this. A blind beggar is the last healing Luke includes. Why? Because he wants this to show us something about this blind man that we ought to understand about ourselves. The blind man was conscious of his need and saw Jesus as the deliverer. Because when we think of need, what comes to your mind? I can't help but think there's presence under our tree right now because we also love celebrating some of the cultural context of Christmas. And when my kids see those presents, here's what they're thinking. Mom and dad, we don't need a sweater. We, we don't need socks. We know what we need, and it's that latest Nintendo Switch game. That's what we need, right? 
Fast forward to maybe us as adults. What do we see as our needs? The blind man, conscious of his need, and sees Jesus as his deliverer. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging that there was a recognition of some sense of need. Luke tells us the rich young ruler, he saw that need too. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) That there is a need in my life and, and there was a material understanding and blessing that he was experiencing and yet that very blessing was blinding him, blinded by his wealth. The disciples... The rich young ruler had eyes that worked, but he couldn't see. Do you feel that? The disciples, they too had eyes that worked, but they couldn't see. And we're going to learn yet. They do start to understand who Jesus is after the resurrection, but they have eyes to see. They've been listening to Jesus. They have been watching him. They left everything to follow him. And there's still this familiarity that might impact our lives. They were still blind to seeing Jesus' plan. What about the blind beggar? This floors me. (laughs) He's blind, but he can see. He saw a need in his life. Now, what was the need? He's blind, sitting by the roadside, begging. And what does he cry out? Have mercy on me. He cries out all the more, have mercy on me. He he sees an opportunity coming by, and he's not going to miss it. (laughs) Jesus is walking by, and he is not going to miss this guy because there's a sense Those who were sitting in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more. He understood his need. He saw the opportunity, and it built in him to cry with greater desperate dependence for more of Jesus to solve his need. The blind man was conscious of his need and sees Jesus as his deliverer. We're going to get to, so what exactly was the deliverer? Here's what he says. What does he see Jesus as? We see a very beautiful cry. He cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This blind man who grows up in a culture understanding the Messiah is going to come someday and give sight to the blind, he recognizes Jesus as this deliverer. This promise back to King David in 2 Samuel. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come up from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The blind man is recognizing Jesus as this deliverer, seeing Jesus, though the rich young ruler and the disciples haven't seen it yet. This blind man sees Jesus. 
and we're going to see him do a miracle, but never miss why Jesus does miracles. What's the purpose of his miracles? And there should be a little apostrophe after Jesus. Is that correct, grammarians? Is that right? Jesus' purpose in miracles? It's the little things. It's the little things. Uh, Back in Luke, why does Jesus do healings? Not ultimately for the healing themselves, but he tells us in Luke 5, so that you will understand the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I'm going to step in and provide healing in this circumstance. And so we see that with this blind man who sees Jesus and it reflects the authenticity of his faith. The blind man received the healing that came through faith. What do we see? Son of David, have mercy on me. Pick it up at verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when we came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? (laughs) When we closed our eyes this morning, do you cry out, Jesus, this is what I want you to do in my life. (laughs) There's a desperate need I have in my life. And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Then Jesus says these words, recover your sight, your faith has made you well. Now I don't like that translation because it could feel primarily circumstantial. The other way, your faith has saved you. Where do we see that? If you remember back in Luke 17, there were 10 lepers. How many did Jesus save? One. How many were healed? Ten. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. One. Why? Not primarily about the healing circumstantially, but the man's faith in who had healed him. So we see back in Luke 18, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has saved you. How could you take that? You could take it as your faith healed you circumstantially. Your faith healed you physically and spiritually. Or your faith healed you spiritually. I don't think it's the first one. I don't think Jesus is saying, you know the reason that issue is still in your life is you just haven't had enough faith. I don't think that's what he's saying. Is he saying maybe the other two? I think that's open. Your faith has saved you. And then how do we understand the man recognized his need of Jesus, saw Jesus ultimately healing him spiritually? This is how he responds. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, Gave praise to God for what had happened in this man's life, physically and spiritually. So my mind can't help but go here then. Why, what keeps us from seeing Jesus more clearly? The whole emphasis as he's landing the plane is about seeing Jesus. The blind man sees him. What keeps us from seeing Jesus more clearly? Here's what it feels like to me. 
it's we're unclear what the fight to see really is. We, we don't necessarily know exactly what it would mean to fight to see Jesus. Because here's what it seems like. We feel like if you've grown up, there's the fight for joy that people are looking in this life. And that some have heard, you need to stop pursuing your joy so that you can pursue God. Versus a fight to see Jesus is actually fighting to believe there is more joy in him than anything else this life has to offer. And when you look at the text throughout our biblical text, that is an overriding message. The fight to see Jesus is a fight to believe he's better. Psalm 511, let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm 100, one to two, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with with grumpy hearts and obligatory obedience, serve the Lord. Amen. What's he say? Serve the Lord with gladness. The fight to see Jesus is to believe we get to serve him with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I long for the joy of an eternal being filling me with the joy that he has. May my joy be in you and your joy may be full. Don't hear me say that happens fully in this life. We are still broken human beings, and yet we long for an age to come where that is fully true. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. Psalm 37, Command, a command, not a suggestion. Like, hey, delight yourself in the Lord, but I know you delight in these other things, and that's okay. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of his heart, namely more of him. Luke 15, 6, we heard this a few chapters ago, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, When someone who used to find joy in lesser things then finds joy in Christ, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost, searching empty wells. What does it mean to fight to see? It feels it's unclear that it is a fight for joy. And then why the unchurched stay unchurched and don't see Jesus clearly? Why? Because they've heard and have been convinced they have to forfeit their joy to follow Jesus. That I have to give something up that provides greater joy than what Jesus offers as himself. Hear me suggest, I think what Jesus says is there's nothing better than a life with him. And then why the unchurched stay unchurched is because when they hear this and they see church goers they seem to reflect that view where churchgoers have said, I've given up, I understand, I'm missing out, I know you have a better life, but 
but I'm getting through hell so I could spend eternity. And they've seen that model. It's unclear what the fight to see really is and why those who sometimes gather on Sundays miss out is because we too are convinced we're giving up our joy. We serve the Lord with gladness. We're convinced we had to give up our joy to follow Jesus. Instead, Jesus says there's nothing better. And there's the challenge. Why? What prevents us from seeing Jesus more clearly? We're unclear what the fight really is. It's a fight for more joy in him above anything else. And the challenge is we see sometimes modeled by those that we share life with. (laughs) They model, they're just trudging through. And some church leaders just say, suck it up. Give till it hurts. It's your duty. And around here, may that never be. And... May it never be that people perceive Hillcrest as just glib or fake and not attuned to the reality of real loss and real pain through tears streaming down our face, crying, Jesus is better. So what keeps us from seeing Jesus more clearly? We're on fight for what the fight to see really is. But hear me say, and, and maybe if you're wrestling theologically, If you're wrestling theologically, I'm happy to keep working through what seems to be all over the biblical text. But what feels like prevents us from seeing Jesus more clearly, and I'm just going to put up a list that struck me. It's not the theology, but rather the absence. When Jesus says, I want you to have full joy, we look at our life and we just go, that's not my experience. Because of money, either overwhelmed by the lack of or the jealousy of what we see in someone else that prevented the rich young ruler, he walked away sad. Maybe broken relationships along the way. That sometimes it's hard to see Jesus is clearly because of the broken relationships that, that mar our lives. The depth of shame, again, beating ourselves up, where we might say, Jesus, I I believe that's true, and yet it's just not my experience. And rather than that freeing us to take another step towards, it sometimes pushes us back into this place of shame. Physical challenges. When a diagnosis of the C word comes across our plate, our mind can go a thousand places. What prevents us from seeing Jesus more clearly? That thing when we closed our eyes this morning is ever present. Cancer is at the door and and I am trying to fight to believe Jesus you are better. And yet my physical reality is challenging. Problems in the world. (laughs) I feel like I can't go a day without hearing some more news about Israel and just challenges that are taking place. There's still a military coup happening in Myanmar. I mean, just global challenges, global pain. There's just problems in the world. Sometimes that pushes some of us to not want to read the news at all. For others of us, we just go down the rabbit hole with all the problems in the world. What keeps us from seeing Jesus more clearly? 
You've heard us say around here, it's sometimes not the licentious life. It's often apple pie and Netflix and the leisure of life that prevents us from seeing Jesus more clearly. Because we're consumed with whatever our latest and greatest Netflix show might be. Or whatever dessert might be offered up at any particular given point. Uh, Just thinking peanut butter cup ice cream. Love that stuff. (laughs) Leisure. And then, what I hope we've been trying to fight against this Advent season, just the busyness of life, where we feel like we don't have enough time to pause and even sit to see Jesus more clearly, because there's always one more thing to do. And then I'm going to just end with kind of this blanket one right here, just pain of a variety of kinds. What keeps us from seeing Jesus more clearly We're unsure of what the fight really is because all these other things are sometimes just clouding us. We are fighting for the joy that Jesus offers. And so there's this cycle that we go through. I think we all go through in our lives. We experience something in life. Something challenging that might prevent us from seeing what Jesus is doing and helping us see him more clearly. How do we know it's a trial? Anyone want to guess? Yeah, gets us off track because it hurts. <laughs> it's painful. And then usually is accompanied by some emotion. Sadness, worry, anger, bitterness, despair, resentment. And then sometimes we go through that and then we throw our hands up and going, what was that for? <laughs> Why'd that happen? I don't understand why you would allow something like that to happen. And yet, what Jesus seems to be saying is that it is a fight to see him more clearly in the midst of those circumstances. We don't just look beyond with the hope that maybe the circumstances might be alleviated. We actually get to look in in what he's doing now. Because unlike the blind man or maybe even Ricky's father, not all of us maybe are seeing the alleviation of that as quickly as we'd want. There is a trial, there is pain, there is an emotion, and sometimes, like Ricky and like the blind man, we see the circumstance complete. What do we usually feel when it's complete? Joy. (laughs) What if, what if, We long to fight to see Jesus more clearly for who he is. We have a recognition of our deepest need and that Jesus has solved our deepest need. So as we back that up, there's actually becoming this mixture of both joy and sadness in the midst of what's going on, even before the circumstance might be complete. (laughs) Unsure of exactly how it's going to get resolved, Before that happens, what would happen if we have this conviction? We're fighting to see Jesus. And then at that onset of the pain, that we actually believe we're fighting to see Jesus. And there is joy in the midst of that. So that maybe even at the onset of the trial, 
in the midst of whatever pain or circumstance that we would say we are fighting to see clearly Jesus. I remember when Casey and I, this is hard to believe about 10 years ago now. Is this wild, babe? It's wild. We're just coming back from Kosovo. And we were trying to grow our family. And like the blind man, there was a recognition of need. Jesus, we want you to help grow our family. Because we learned that it wasn't going to happen. I will never forget the fertility doctor's words. David, this is not impossible. It's just highly improbable. And so we began the fertility process. And for about, what, two years? We relentlessly tried visit after visit. Seemingly positive news met with some challenging things. What would it look like? Like the blind man to have a recognition of need and yet long for more of Jesus in the midst of our circumstance. What he did, he solved our circumstance in a way that we would never have anticipated. And now we have three beautiful adopted babies that have changed our lives. Today, circumstances continue. Sometimes if you're not married, you long for that spouse to be married to. And sometimes when you're married, you long for what it would look like to maybe not have that spouse you're married to, right? We just want the alleviation of our circumstances, and yet we believe God is working for his good, drawing us to himself and has a plan. You know that Tim McGraw song? This is where my mind sometimes goes. Like, thank God for unanswered prayers. Garth Brooks, thank you. Thank you. The things we might be longing for in this life, and yet God is fighting, helping us see him and find our joy in him. So what would it look like that we could see him more clearly? Because I imagine, like me, you guys all have something that you are praying with desperate dependence, God, heal this circumstance. But ultimately, heal us spiritually. What can we do to see, more, see Jesus more clearly? And I don't think anything on here is going to be revolutionary, and yet it's in its simplicity. We read about Jesus. We keep cultural celebrations in its context, and we read and reread about Jesus' birth. That God became man and dwelt among us. We contemplate Jesus, trusting he may reveal areas of our blindness this week. Things we might not even be fully aware of, and yet Jesus is using to draw us to himself. God, reveal areas where we still might not be seeing you as clearly. Hang with others who are seeing Jesus. In the midst of all the activity, what might it look like to purposefully, intentionally pursue time with someone who is longing to see Jesus as you are? And then hang with someone who needs to see Jesus, maybe in the midst of some challenges, which I would say, 
a place where you could show Jesus to someone who needs to see him. And a chance to show Jesus to someone who maybe is hurting. Longing to believe he is good. And then, again, maybe just a little more contextual here. Show Jesus for someone who you know who really doesn't get the meaning of Christmas. I'm going to invite the worship team up. What does it mean to believe there is a dawn of a new joy that God is working out in your life? That we are fighting to see Him more clearly. Believing He has and is present in those circumstances and might be doing more in them than just alleviating those circumstances. So pray with me as we continue and worship Jesus. We want to see you. We want to fight for more joy in you above anything else this life has to offer. Believing you provide it. Help us to experience that more fully in whatever might be blinding us today. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory. Amen.